Take your Bible and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. A couple of little thoughts I want to give you here, and then we'll look at the notes over here. So the last thing you want to do is look at your notes while I'm talking. If y'all see anybody doing that, elbow them. Warren, you're too far away from anybody. 2 Corinthians and chapter 12, look what he has here in verse 5. Now, he had already made the statement. He says, uh, it's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. He says uh, that I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, but such a one was caught up into the, you know, the third heaven. And he says, but whether in the body or out of the body, I can't tell. He was caught up into paradise and saw unspeakable things, things that I couldn't tell you about. But whatever it was that he saw while he was in heaven must have been awesome. It must have been something. And so... Because of the visions and the revelations that he had, he says, God gave me a messenger to buffet me. To buffet me. In other words, somebody just to go around and antagonize you, all your ministry. Wouldn't you like that? <laughs> it's called husband and wife. No, I'm just joking. It's, uh, but somebody just antagonizes you all the time and just causes nothing but trouble and trying to, you know, chew you up and spit you out and shame you, humiliate you, whatever it is. It was so that he wouldn't brag, so that he wouldn't get too big for his britches, so he wouldn't be lifted up with pride. So he says, I, I want to glory. It means I want to brag about a few things, but I can't brag about, you know, all the good things that I've done. No, he says a few things. He says, but um, if I'm going to brag, I'd rather brag in my infirmities, how I hurt and how I suffered. So you read the chapter 11, and it tells you what he went through. So you kind of get the feeling of what price he paid and, and how he had been so um, humiliated at times. And he says, and all the things that happened to me, plus the care of all the churches. So he says here in verse 5, of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory. In other words, I'm going to brag, but I'm going to brag on the Lord. But he says, if I have to play the fool for a moment, he said, I'm going to do that in order to teach you a lesson so that you'll understand where I'm coming from. Because they, they had lost a lot of respect for Paul. And uh, so he was kind of laying the, the groundwork here. He says, I will not glory. He said, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, or you could put the little word brag in there a little bit, the boast. He mentions that in other places. You can see that in verse 16 of the 11th chapter. But now note it. He said, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. In other words, I don't want to make the man bigger than the shadow, or the shadow bigger than the man. Because sooner or later, you're going to see the man, and you saw the big shadow, and you thought he was a bigger man than what he really is. I was thinking the other day, I am so thankful that I'm able to serve the Lord but you know, if it had not been for God doing this and this and this and blocking this and this and this and helping you with this and guiding you here and there, what would you do? He said, without me, you can do how much? Nothing. So we don't have any reason to exalt ourselves and put ourselves up. We all have troubles and we got problems. And um, so he says here in, the, in verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure. And there were people thinking of him more than they should, but they shouldn't think less of Paul than what he really was because they had questioned whether he was really an apostle and so forth, and they didn't want to listen to him. It just broke his heart. 
He says, and the more I love, the less I be loved. Just hold your place right there, but just look at this. See there in verse 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. That's why I've told people, you've got to serve the Lord like you've never been hurt. And you've got to serve the Lord like you've never been loved. Because a lot of people do not return love. They don't return the affection that you gave. And when you read in the book of Thessalonians, when he talks about how that we were among you in gentleness and like as a nurse and as, as a father over the children, all these things that he talks about. But he says here, I, in verse 7, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. In other words, God did what he did to keep Paul humble. Because the worst thing in a Christian's life is P-R-I-D-E, is to be lifted up in pride. And it's, it's a sin that can be set every last one of us. It's when we become hard-headed, stiff-necked, we want our own way, and we don't listen. And so God had Paul put this in here. Then he says here, I prayed that God would have it removed, and he didn't. So in verse 9, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So if he bragged about his weaknesses, then he has to brag on the Lord and how he brought him through. If you brag about all your strengths sometime, now, it's not talking about it being a, a false humility or a you know, false pride and all that stuff. No, just be real. Be, whatever you are, just be real. But anyway, the introduction here, suffering is part of our earthly journey. It affects every part of our earthly being. We all suffer in body, mind, soul, and spirit. Now, see, right now, your mind might be clear as a bell, but you can be hurting in your body. And sometimes your body feels healthy, and you're just depressed, discouraged. And a, a lot of people get down. They get, you know, whooped. Feel like everybody's beating up on them. And so um, the question, why do I have to suffer so? Th this is what this guy was writing in here. From Adam until the rapture. If you know the end game, just get to it. <laughs> get us out of here. Why do we have to? I mean, I've been saved now for 58 years. Why didn't he just go ahead and take me on home when I was trusting the Lord? Just think of how many problems would have been solved. And I wouldn't have had to hurt and go through suffering. I wouldn't have to get old. I, I still realize that if God doesn't come back, I am anticipating that down the road, I'm not going to be as probably as healthy as I am right now. I may be as healthy as I'll ever be for the rest of my life. And you're the same way. It could be downhill, right? Chances are we're not going to get better and better and better. It could get worse and worse. So that's just the fact. Now look at number one. Why does God cause or allow us to suffer? Now it could be. Now I'm not saying it is. But in the book of Psalms it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. Have you ever had children that disobeyed and you'd have to correct them or spank them or punish them in some way? Well, it's not because that's what you want to do. It's because you know that this may hurt for a little time, but it may save you a lot of hurt down the road. See, the problem we have in America is that the kids don't know the consequences of doing wrong because there is no consequences of doing wrong. They can rebel against parents, rebel against schools, rebel against the law, rebel. And it's like they get away with it. They used to have a little thing that says, crime does not pay unless you're running for office, <laughs> unless you're a politician. 
Crime, they, people say, look, it does pay. I know somebody was in the White House and now they're millionaires. And all they got was the salary they got while they were working for the government. How does that happen? Interesting. Boy, they made some lot of good investments. But anyway, before I was afflicted, what did I do? I went astray. What does it mean to go astray? I thought all of God's children will automatically serve the Lord, right? No. So it's so easy for us to go astray. We, even though we know we have eternal, know that we're God's children, and we can know the things that are right, we can know the things that are wrong, and still do wrong anyway, because that's the way we are. We don't all live this perfect life that we should, and God says we should, and he has ordained that we should walk in good works, but we still don't always do what God wants us to do. Look at the next statement. Thou art good and doeth good. Teach me thy statutes. In other words, you have to be sold in your mind. God is a good God. Don't ever get to the place where you think God is bad. God is evil. God is wrong. God's not fair. God's not right. Because when you begin to question all those things, you're beginning to look at a, a life on the verge of going astray. Because you have justification for not trusting him. So you can do your own thing. Go your own way. Why? Because look what God did. And you'd be surprised. I've seen parents. Because if they lost a loved one, a little child, a little boy, whatever, a little girl, and they get mad at God and never go back to church again, become totally rebellious, and you'd be surprised what goes on. Because they, they prejudge God. Because if God is God and he has sovereignty, then why did he let that happen? So God's a mean God. And so you can't believe that. You have to believe God is good. And he also says, for all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. If you love him, you'll have a totally different attitude toward whatever happens. But when you don't love God the way you should, your attitude is totally different concerning things that happens to you. Look at the next verse. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That's 1 Corinthians 11. When we have communion service, that's the verse that's right there in that, that group of verses that we always talk about. And so there are consequences. Look at the next statement. Number two, why do I have to suffer? Well, it could be that I did not examine myself. An unexamined life is not worth living. So you and I are supposed to learn the Word of God so we can discern right from wrong, so we can examine our own life. Well, how am I doing? Am I walking according to the will of God, or am I going contrary to the will of God? Do I justify that which God condemns? You know, you got to learn how to think and examine yourself. See, if you examine yourself, well, then God won't have to. If you and I, if we would judge ourselves, well, then God don't have to do it for us. And that's why in this verse, you notice, but let a man examine himself. No, not let a man examine all of his neighbors. Let every man examine everybody else. That's where you get your fruit inspectors. You deserve to be whooped. Boy, God ought to send you home. God ought to get you. And sometimes I think there's Christians who rejoice when bad things happen to somebody who wronged them. Oh, I can't wait for God to get him. And have you ever thought, you know, I think I should be God's avenging angel. God's just using me to get everybody. I don't think so. But let a man examine himself. Look at the next verse. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation or judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So 
That's the reason we do what we do and study the Word of God so that we can be able to examine ourselves. You see, part of maturing in the Lord is being able to, well, like we have done here, examine ourselves. Am I going astray? And what am I doing that's wrong? And what can I do to correct it? Because, you see, that's what he talks about in the book of James in chapter 2. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. You can hear, oh, I heard that, I heard that. We have a girl up there in Georgia at the Northside Baptist Church, and that was her favorite words. She was always, I heard that, I heard, I don't hear what I said, I heard that. You ever heard anybody, just, that's, that's her favorite statement, is, I heard that, and do absolutely not. Now, she does, she's a good one. But there's some people, I heard that, and they, I don't know if they heard it or not. Or if you heard it, it's like you're telling the boy, go to bed now. I heard that. And he stays right there and plays. When you say, I heard it, means that I heard it, but I, I mean I'm going to obey it. And that's why mama usually says, did you hear me? Right? Did you hear me? And when she says it a certain way, you know it. There's a, a limit. And you may not go past it based upon the tone of over. Because, you see, the kids, they, they go crazy trying to raise us adults. And they teach us how far we can go and all that before they do this or that. It works that way. Look at the next statement. Number three, it could be that I would not judge myself. See, you can examine yourself. I saw something wrong. But I will not judge it. I will not correct the problem. That's what he's talking about. And if we would correct it, then God won't have to correct it. See, what I try to do, whether Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, is try to teach you how to counsel yourself so that you don't have to always come to me about every little problem. I'm telling you how to diagnose a problem and then how to solve that problem. Because, see, you really want to try to figure out how to determine your own walk with the Lord, how to look at it yourself so that you don't have to have somebody always correcting you. Do you love it when people always correct you? Then you correct you then they won't have to, right? So if you are not walking right, shouldn't somebody be able to say, you're not walking right? Isn't it possible? So if you don't want somebody to say something, then you go ahead and examine and judge it for yourself. Look at the verse I have here. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. For this cause, many are sick and weakly among you, and many sleep. So that's what happens. Now look down at number four. It could be. Now, see, every one of these is it could be because, see, I, I'm not the judge in your life. I don't know all the things that you do right and wrong. And um, even though you're in church, you can still suffer and do, be doing right. Just because something bad happens to you, as we say, something bad happens to you, it, it doesn't mean you've done something wrong and you deserve that. No, it could be a reason. But there's some reasons in here that I think would help you to Understand, because see, if you can't sometimes discern some of these things, you can get down so quick because of all the suffering you can go through in this life. So look at the next statement. It could be that I should suffer to be an example of my love for Christ. In other words, your suffering could prove how much you love God. Because suffering in this life is always causing us to make decisions. It affects our attitude. When things don't go our way. 
So look at this statement here. And um, it says, for what glory is it? If I suffer, who gets glory out of that? Well, you say, well, I didn't get any. Well, maybe God did, though. Is it possible that God can get glory out of your life or out of your death? God can get glory out of your life. And when you go astray and you correct the problem, you can give God glory for that. That's why that verse up there, before I was afflicted, I went astray. That's a way of praising God and giving God thanks for his correction in your life. So down here at the bottom of the page, for what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you did something wrong, and you take it patiently, well, big deal. What have you done? But if when you do well and you suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Why? Because it's for Christ's glory. Can you, as a child of God, suffer in a lot of ways, a lot of ways, our whole life is a life of suffering. And that's why the Bible talks about, you know, uh, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that we're going to have one day. In other words, whatever bad we go through down here, if we call it bad, is going to be glorious for us later. That's why I had somebody mention to me just recently, uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, said, I got some bad news. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, not so fast. I says, it's news. I'll decide if it's good or bad. And I have sometimes said bad news was good news and good news was bad news and because of how I was thinking at the time. I've lived long enough to realize that uh, I don't know if you really can have too much bad news or good news. It's just, it's news. The key is how do you accept news? Because you know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord if it's good news, right? Only if it's good news. But if it's bad news, well, that can't help you at all, or can it? So you see, it does make a difference. So in this verse, what glory is it? If when you are buffeted for your faults and you take it patiently, but if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. It means not everything is going to be pleasing to you. You're going to hurt at times. People are going to say things, do things. You're going to lose jobs. You're going to lose health. You're going to get cancer. You're going to lose a loved one. This whole life that we have is a life of suffering. Look at the bottom verse, the bottom of the page. For here unto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Now, we're not in heaven yet. So in this life that God's given to us, we're going to suffer. Did you know that Christ suffered a lot of things before he ever got to the cross? He suffered a lot of stuff. I think one of the things that hurt him was that none of his brothers believed on him. They didn't believe him. When he did miracles, and it says he did not many miracles here because of their unbelief. They didn't, they didn't believe him. And then when they said that we did not come from fornication, which was an accusation against him having a mom who had a, a child and they weren't married, to whatever he went through. I am the light of the world. You are not. My father's going to tell you who I am. And no, he ain't. They didn't believe him. How oft would I have gathered you together? And you would not. You will not come unto me that you may have life. Do you think he ever got rejected? 
What about Peter? Not him three times, but also all of them did. It wasn't just Peter. Every one of them did it. And they all forsook him. And um, how long did he live upon this planet Earth? 33 years. And he suffered. Now it says we are supposed to suffer because if he was our example and if we suffer because he suffered, then we're suffering because there's somebody else that's going to learn something from our suffering. You read that in 2 Corinthians in chapter 1. Tremendous portion of scripture. All right, look there on page 2. Top of the page. Now, why do we have to suffer? Not a one of these reasons may suit you. But you do know you're going to suffer, and this may be some of the reasons on why we do. And part of your maturing in the Lord is, can I handle that? Does God have to always explain to me why I'm suffering? You're going to find out. God may not tell you any reason. Lord, why? God says, I'm not telling. Trust me. But anyway, the Lord will not lie to you and he will not deceive you. But a lot of things that God does not explain, do you think he wants you to trust him anyway? Even though you don't know why? See, truth, faith to the Lord and serving the Lord is when it appears that God has failed you or God has let you down. And then you still remain faithful when it appears that God has failed you. Because there'll be times in your Christian life you just know God has let me down. God did not come through. But God has a reason why he does what he does. But he doesn't always have to tell you. But now look there. It could be that I need a lesson in humility. God was not only pleased with how far Job had come, but showed him how much farther he needed to go. Now I've given you all that statement many times. But I wanted to put it down. See, Job... He was considered, and God said he was a good man, a godly man, a just man, made sacrifices for himself and for his family, his kids, lest they had done something wrong. You know, there's a good possibility they might have. They might have been rebellious, but we don't know all the details, and that there's a reason why. There could be reasons why God did all of the stuff here, and it was time for God to lay down some judgment. It might have been time for uh, Job's wife to learn a few lessons. What did she say to her husband, you know, this help meet that comes alongside to encourage him in his moment of despair? Why don't you curse God and die? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Thank you, honey. I appreciate that. That really cheered me up. Well, you know how God got even with her? Gave her 10 more kids. Now, that's Yankeeology there. That's not in the Bible. I was just, let's throw that in there. All right, look at the next statement. Anyway, therefore, he says, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. In other words, it taught him humility. Because he could boast about how great and faithful and righteous he was in the eyes of these friends that he had to come see him. But he said, if I could just get a word with God, if I could just have a counseling session with God, I'll tell God something. And God says, hello. And so in chapter 38, he started asking him some questions. And Job said, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. A lot of things Job didn't know. But God gave everything back to him, and he learned some great lessons. And how encouraging is that example that we have of a man who was patient, the patience of Job. And then when you read the book of uh, James in chapter 5, it talks about the patience of Job, right? The patience of Job. Look at number 6. It could be that... God desires to prove his all-sufficient grace. In other words, God may want to teach you something. 
You know, we just read a verse that says, my grace is sufficient, right? Did we read that? How do you know? How do you know that God's grace is sufficient? Because it says so. Have you lived it? Whatever you have faced, or maybe going to face, is his grace sufficient for you to maintain a good, godly attitude, spirit, and maturity, and trust in the Lord, and a good example? Can you do it? Is God's grace sufficient? Look what we wrote here. My suffering is one of God's ways to prove his grace is sufficient. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, when you realize there are some things in life you can't change, you can't alter, and you can't do anything about it, and you can't get yourself out of it. Some things you just have to go right through it. And so you've got to trust the Lord that he's going to bring you through it. You always see me doing this? What does that mean? What am I doing? The Lord is walking me through it. The Lord is walking with me. So is God's grace sufficient? Well, as long as I keep walking with the Lord, his grace is sufficient. It's, I've had people say, well, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. I just can't hang anymore. I can't take it anymore. Why? Why? Because God's weak. Because I can't trust the Lord. Because God's going to fail me. Oh, what a pity party we have when we take our eyes off the Lord. Look at the next verse, the very next verse we have here. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Something might not happen good tomorrow. You might get some news tomorrow. Whatever it is, don't try to figure out, is it good or bad? Don't you hate it sometimes when the phone rings? Oh, boy, who could that be? Oh, no. Who is it? Who's on the phone, hon? It's, it's Peter Amato. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. no I'm just joking, honey. It was, it was Jesse. Oh, no. Oh, no. I know it's bad news. Grab my wallet. No, he... You'd be surprised how it doesn't have to be true. It's just that we, we think and imagine things. And we always try to imagine the worst. I used to tell people, I said, now, what's the worst thing that can happen? What's the worst thing that can happen? And they'd give me some how bad it can happen. I said, the worst thing that can happen is you could die, right? Now, go ahead and accept the worst. Anything better than that's gravy, right? If you already have accepted the worst thing that can happen to anything and anybody, and me and the Lord is a majority, and we can handle that. All right, everything else is better than that. If you can accept whatever's the worst. But if you can't, you're going to be one whoop little puppy. 